kids used to chase me around with shark's teeth around the classroom. And so my mum took me out of school and I just, I just wandered free for six months to a year. Because we are philosophical, regardless of whether we want to acknowledge it or not. We do think about the world. We want to understand it. Hello, I'm Dave. I'm the guy that's putting all this stuff together. I need to get better. Please make me better. I want to get better. Better. Better acquainted with you. Today we're getting better acquainted with Alex. Hello, Alex. Hello, Dave. How are you? (laughs) (laughs) I'm good. I'm good. The first question that I ask people is, how do you know me? How do I know you? I met you through Jen and Owen, I believe, didn't I? You came round to our house once in Lancaster. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, was it our house? When you lived with when me we, yeah, in the yeah. first year, yeah, then I will have come to you in Gorgate, just outside Lancaster. That's right, yeah. So this was at university. Uh, Jen and Owen are friends of mine mm-hmm. and yours, because yes. you lived with them, in fact. And... Oh no, hang on, will it have been the second year? Because, yeah, we, the second because year. we weren't living in halls anymore no, when I met you. Right. So it would be the second year of university. You were living in a place with them in Gorgate, which is... A, Gorgate's a strange place. I, I lived in Gorgate yeah. the year after. Dilapidated. Well, no, I'm not dilapidated, but it's a bit... It's kind of an empty... It's a bit run down. Empty it? place yeah. outside of Lancaster. It's kind of a council estate village. That sounds about right. Yeah, just about, yeah. It's, it's an odd place, but... You live where you live, don't you? So. Yeah, well, it was, near the, it was near the countryside. That's what was nice about it. You could walk from it to the countryside, yeah. which is what attracted us yes. to it. And it was, outside of the, it was outside of the loop. So you weren't surrounded by lots of people who you knew, and it was kind of distant. People had to come to you. They did. <laughs> they didn't like it, but they did come. Yeah, before I ask you the second question, I was going to say, so the last time we met, when would that have been? It was in a few years ago, wasn't it? It was that theatre in... South Hill Park. South Hill Park. In Bracknell. Yes. That's right. And that was a few years after university, wasn't it? And that was a random meeting, yeah. It was a random meeting and we were going to watch a play, I think. You were going to watch I was going to watch a play and you were in a play. Yeah, I was in a live arts festival. Yes. And I, was, I was, right. think I was part of... There was a parrot, wasn't there? there was a, that was, it was a really surreal <laughs> I, moment. Cause I like, don't know. There's <laughs> a parrot, like for no reason, just a parrot. <laughs> and then... I look around and there's a guy I haven't seen in years and years and years. Yeah. I think I was a bit drunk when this happened. Well. <laughs> and then we went and had a chat outside. It was a really surreal moment. It was a bit surreal, yeah. And then, yeah, that's right. We went and had a chat outside. Yeah, and I got your number. You got my lost, number. We lost contact. We for, had lost contact. For various reasons. Yeah. Probably mostly to do with me. Why do you think we lost contact? I have trouble with friendships. What do you mean? I find them really, really difficult. I, I mean, I don't know whether I could blame it on my childhood, but because I lived abroad as a child, I think I didn't really learn about the dynamics of friendships and how to keep them because I kept on moving. So that stage in my life where you would be learning how to socialise effectively was missed out a little bit. I mean, I'm a very friendly person. You are. But that can be difficult to deal with, I think, for people. And, and there's, a, there's a part of me which philosophically doesn't want to deviate from that friendliness because I think it's an important quality to have. Well, you talk to anybody, like you're literally anybody that comes up to you. I'm, like, I'm, a, bit, I'm a bit more wary now because 
because people people are funny about it, and I and I think it's a real shame. But and I don't want to weird people out. But generally speaking, I still have that fundamental. Well, when we met at Waterloo Station, <laughs> you, you said you'd just been speaking to someone, yeah. somebody that you didn't. Well, know. I was helping somebody. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, that open friendliness thing. That's that's. I think that's a very attractive thing about you. It's one of the things that I immediately took to about you. It can be bad as well as good. It depends on the situation, the person. Some people are funny about conversations you have so broaching certain topics I mean most of my friends aren't interested in philosophy for instance so that can be an obstacle not an obstacle to friendship but an obstacle to me having an open well, I think relationship with people about topics of conversation but I wouldn't say that's why we lost contact no. from, my, from, my point, <laughs> from my point of view I mean how it, how it worked I'm trying to think of how to phrase this without bringing people into this conversation mm. who don't want to be brought in necessarily but you left some friends of mine in the lurch a little bit yes it is and I'm quite where I have a maybe it's a, maybe it's a flaw maybe it's a strength but I can be quite loyal yeah. which means that if someone hurts my friends I don't yeah. I don't want to I don't engage I don't engage with that it's been many years now and I don't I don't I mean you know that we've, had, a, we've had this conversation. Exactly. We, and we had that conversation outside that time when we met with the parrot and the, uh, the weirdness yes. of that moment. And, and since I wrote you a letter, didn't I? You did. And, 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 and hey, I mean, I've fully accepted yeah. your apologies. And I'm not meaning to uh, put you in a situation where, no, 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 it's where I'm sort of I, I, criticising I mean, I, one of the topic I, topics I was going to broach was friendship. Yeah. So, because I do find friendships difficult. And have you, so you've, you've, have you found this to be a pattern then? I, I do find it a pattern. I'm certainly aware that it's something to do with my personality. Um, yeah. But putting a precise finger on what it is, because some friendships I've maintained for a long time. Yeah. And quite well, really. People have fallen out with me. But I guess, I guess there is something there. I, can be, I don't know whether it's controversial, but I can be quite straight with people. And that doesn't necessarily save their feelings. And I might even be wrong at the time, but you know, retrospection is a is a wonderful thing. Yeah. You know, and I'm 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 more than happy to apologise to people as well. I don't I'm not afraid to say I'm sorry. No, that's true. Um, if I think I'm wrong, <laughs> whether I think you think I'm wrong is another matter. Do you but. think it might be a kind of mixture? And I don't want to kind of psychoanalyze you, but do you think it might be a kind of mixture of? You're very, very open. You'll say anything and you'll talk talk about anything. But you're also quite easily distracted. So if you if you if there's something else that's interesting to you, you'll stop thinking about the other things. So uh, yeah, I'm, I mean, I'll come back to possibly come back to later. But one of the reasons I like photography is because I can flip between different things. So I can I don't have to have that consistency all the way through. Yeah, if that makes sense. So you can take a picture of I any can take subject. Take a picture of any subject. Yeah, and explore. Like that and I don't have to be held down in terms of the friendship thing all I mean all I was sort of offering up is I mean I think to me it felt very much like you were able to sort of flick a switch and stop I, thinking I had about to because things. it hurt so much yeah 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 but 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 I but mean I, I it's, was it's hurt. self-preservation I, isn't it? It, it was self-preservation and I, and I was kind of in a I mean for a long time I was quite emotionally tumultuous and I think I've been able to kind of rebalance myself these days but it's still there underneath it can still if I could go back I wouldn't be so hardline I think I try not to be as hardline anymore yeah. like that kind of loyalty to friendships 
is a is a beautiful thing, but it's also a flaw because you've got to forgive sometimes. Maybe people don't even need to be forgiven. Mm. Do you know, like sometimes people are just having crises, and maybe you should recognise that, that yeah. rather than. And people, most people aren't bad people. They're just they're just messed up at some point in their lives and, and they don't know how to do it and sometimes there's a consequence it hurts other people along the true way. I mean I don't think that there are bad people I think there are bad actions yes, yes. Um, but I, yeah we could, I mean, we could discuss this on an ethical yeah yeah, yeah, we, yeah we could we could for a long time so we've sort of dealt with where we how we where we are at with each other in terms of friendship because we haven't seen each other for years I think yeah. we're Facebook friends I are think, we I think so I'm certainly Facebook friends with Jen she's often commenting on that I think you are yeah, well, if we're not, then I'll remedy that. We should that. be. <laughs> <laughs> Do you find that you're barraged by lots and lots of different links of mine on Facebook? Not really. We're not no, Facebook no. friends, then. Oh, really? I'll sort that out. We'll sort that out, yeah. But, yeah. Amend that. You'll, 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 soon, you'll soon get all of my endless That's links. Fine. So the other question that I ask people is, what do you do now? I guess the closest thing to what I do is a stay-at-home dad. Yeah. Well, I suppose I'm a, a philosopher as well, sophistic philosopher. It's the idea of using rhetoric to win an argument. It came from the ancient Greeks before the philosophers, when really they didn't have philosophy, they had just had the sophists who would be paid money to win an argument for a function, maybe politically or something right. like that. So debate often ends up being about sophism because you don't necessarily have the facts in front. And I do a bit of photography, trying to turn that into a business, but I don't have that much faith in my photographic abilities. And I try to write, Mostly a stay-at-home dad, three days a week and then two days in my own time, mm. as well as housework and all that kind of yeah. business. Ha- so, role ha- reversal. Yeah, well, fair enough. And how old is your, is your little one now? Um, she is two and about two or three months. Wow. Because so. I work with children under five for my job, my day job. Okay. And my niece, my great-niece, is just around two. And they're kind of like walking... <laughs> Walking it's like walking is just them. There's absolutely no question of being aware of anybody else's needs mm. apart from their own to a certain extent. Do you find that... I mean, I know that a lot of people find that difficult to deal with. I know it's charming as well. There are lovely... I'm not saying any child... They like to be the centre of attention. Yeah. And if you've got the time and find them pleasurable enough, then I think it's a wonderful thing. That's, that's probably but, true, um, actually. I mean, I love my daughter very much. Uh, I suppose everybody can say the same thing, but... Some people don't always have enough time for their children. So I think if you have the time, then it makes a huge difference. Well, that's really nice. Yeah. And then my dad looked after me when I was about two. He was the stay-at-home dad. Mm. And, oh, uh, yeah. Okay. Well, kind of, he was retired. I think yeah, he was freelance for a couple of years, okay. and then he was retired, yeah. so he looked after me. So, And I think he quite enjoyed that, because he had the time, like you say, yeah. uh, to enjoy it. I think it's hard for people who don't have the time or who have a couple of kids. Yeah. Like, well, who are on their mobile phones too often? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, maybe, but then, I mean, yeah, I know what you mean. <laughs> you just got to give them the attention they need. But it's a balance because if you don't, if you give them too much attention, then they become needy. It's about allowing them to play at a distance for a while and then bringing them in when they need that attention and just. Because, because they're unable to regulate their emotions. I mean, if you have a um, getting better acquainted with Constanza, my partner, then she could probably tell you about children and their emotions more than I can. But because they're unregulated, it's, you need to give them the time so they can learn to regulate it. Yeah. Otherwise, they get more demanding 
because you're giving them less so you pull away too much absolutely and they can't deal with it no it's all it's all it about balance i mean this is yeah. what this is what they, then their tantrums get bigger uh, no absolutely it's all about balance because yeah. like, i see a lot of children and a lot of different parents a lot of different socio-economic backgrounds mm. that the families come from the difficulty is always getting a balance there are different things that affect the balance like rich for want of a better word parents have different problems with balance than poor ones but it's yes. always about trying to find a balance for those children yeah. were, were you born in a different country no no I was born in Wales in Cardiff were you and, yeah. ah, didn't know that. no, no my, I didn't know that my grandfather lives in St Melons after three weeks I went to live in Libya for four years and then I came back briefly for about six months to a year and then went out to live in Jordan for a year and then the same again and then the second time was to Bahrain for four years so I, I began to start properly coming back to the UK around about 11, 11 and a half because of the Gulf War we came back my dad stayed out there and then I came back at 12 I think to start school Why was your family in Libya and Bahrain? Uh, my dad's a civil engineer so okay. bridges, bridges and roads design that kind of stuff Right. Yeah. And what was your experience of life? Well, let's go. I can't remember Libya. Uh, you can't remember I think Libya. I remember my front door is a big black iron thing, but that's that's it. If I even remember that, it might be a it might be a false memory. memory yeah. yeah, because I think I might have a photo of it somewhere. Okay. But, I'm like that. I remember yeah, an apple tree. Exactly. But I'm not sure if this apple tree with this swing was something yeah. that has been passed to me by family law or by by memory. Exactly. So Bahrain though. Well, Jordan first. Okay, Jordan, sorry. Uh, yeah, what yeah. do you want to know, really? Well, what was it like for you well, at I, that age in that place? I mean, I don't well, know. Well, I, I was quite free because I, I, think I, I, was, I think I was bullied at, at the school. These kids used to chase me around with shark's teeth around the classroom. And so my mum took me out of school and I just, I just wandered free for six months to a year. So I didn't have any schooling. My mum tried to teach me, but I wasn't... So hang on, you were chased around the classroom <laughs> with sharks? Yeah, well, you can buy sharks teeth quite easily there. So people used to have them, and then <laughs> these kids used to chase me around the classroom uh, with them. So, um, and, they, and they freaked me out, and uh, my mum considered it the bullying, so she took me out of Was it an international school? school? I, I assume so. Yeah, yeah. but you, I mean, I don't really know. I mean, I wasn't old enough to take notice of that. Okay, and then you lived kind of... I, I'd spoke, why? I spoke English. Well, roughly well I mean I don't yeah, mean like you, you had a house <laughs> I had a house you had yeah. a place over, yeah. roof, roof above your head but you I mean what was that what, what did you do I just, I just wandered around stuck hose pipes down at hand holes explores observed the hour children spend a lot of time on the beach falling in love with the idea of flying and things like that I don't know I just what do you mean I, falling well, in love with the idea of flying I, I always wanted to be able to fly and, you like know, Superman to, like on Superman your own. or something like that yeah. yeah I think I used to be able to think I could astral project. I think that was what it was. You know, do you know what astral project Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. When, when you your mind could push, travel out of your body. I yeah, mean, who knows? push your mind outside. Who knows whether that's true or not, but I think I might have had an out-of-body experience or something when I was that age. So you were on your own a lot? In a kind my, of My mum was around. Yeah, but... but... And then it was within the compounds um, most of the time. And then I just used to wander along the beach and pick up showers and... I mean, I could probably live off a beach. But did, I learned, you, you didn't I learned have any other... Like, you weren't with a playmate. You were on your own, though. Uh, my, brother, my brother was there as well. But okay. He was... I think he would have been two. So... so yeah. I remember quite vividly things like Petra, going down on donkey. People don't know what Petra is. It's from Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. You know when they're going down near the very end and they go... 
between this ravine and as they're going through they see this big piece of architecture built into the rock yeah. that's Petra in Jordan and it was not very touristy at the time so few people were making that trip I got to see it when it wasn't full of tourists oh no five so I kind of fell in love with beauty really I guess you went from Jordan came back here a little bit and what was that like going from having a active kind of imagination and kind of well, fantasy I, life on your own well, I, I, spe- I, I suppose one of the defining things in my childhood in Jordan was the concept of freedom really I kind of learned what it could be to be free in my own definition so you could in theory live off the land like I used to collect shells and uh, catch crabs and things like that and, and then that kind of developed more when I was in Bahrain but did you find when so, you came so back when I came back UK, it felt all very controlled mm. and structured and and it infringed upon your sense of self and you don't have to the trouble with the government is they seem to have this idea that you can't have freedom because if you do then everybody's going to kill each other you know, and you can't just live peacefully and live off the land. Or, I mean, obviously, it's an idealistic idea now in this country because there's too many people. But once upon a time, naturally, populations would dwindle to be able to accommodate. If that makes sense. I, I know. I know. I do know what you mean. I mean, this is kind of a pastoral, kind of idyllic. Utopia I mean, I mean, that's that's idea that I relate to yeah. strongly. Like, I also want that kind of freedom. But it's not possible. I don't know if it's possible or not. It's not possible in advanced industrial no, I don't age. Think it's, oh, no. There we go. There I am hitting the table myself. No, I have to say, I should say we're in the National Theatre, which is very quiet actually, and it's early in the morning. But when you hear people whistling or whatever as they walk past, it's not me and Alex doing that. It's uh, no. it's it's just people walking past. So you came back to the UK and you felt like the freedom that you had was gone. Obviously not entirely, but it, it felt like a, a significant limitation. But of course, I I suppose it's it's not necessarily that. I was any freer or unfreer than anybody else. It's just that I kind of felt, it felt so claustrophobic, if you like, here. So you came back to the UK, and then you go back out to Bahrain. Bahrain yeah. And what was Bahrain like? You were a bit older then. Yeah, it was an interesting country. I, I quite liked the souks. In Jordan, you woke up to the mosque. So a boy would be singing from the mosque each morning. Yeah. And so you, you get this sense of mysticism. And Bahrain felt a lot more commercial than Jordan so it was moving more towards the western ideal of capitalism I guess whereas Jordan was a bit the other way so there is a kind of mysticism about the Arab world in a sense because not everything about the Arab world is modern I mean they have modern elements but there's a lot of ancient stuff going on like we once went to Petra and on the way back from Petra we gave a lift to a Bedouin he took us back to the Bedouin tent. He was basically living off the land and they had kind of goats and sheep and stuff. And we had tea with these Bedouins people and that was quite interesting. So, you know, Bahrain wasn't like that at all. It wasn't quite the mystical experience that I had in, in Jordan. The so, magical experience for a five-year-old. Okay, so you had a magical experience. Then you, <laughs> then, then, you came, then you came to the UK and the magic was kind of gone. Mm. Then you went out to Bahrain. I guess you were hoping for more magic. 
but you didn't find as much. I, well, I, well I, the thing is, when you, when you don't recognise, you don't recognise something as magical until you've lost it. Yeah. So I didn't recognise how what an amazing place Jordan was. I mean, I still thought it was amazing. I, I mean, it's retrospective, isn't it? What was Bahrain like? I spent a lot of time roller skating. We lived in another compound. We had a swimming pool, tennis courts, squash courts on the compound shared. Went to a quite a good international school. I'm trying to know how to really describe it, what the essence of it is. It's, we, went, we used to go into the desert quite a lot, so we'd see things like, I think they were either meerkats or mongooses. And I never saw any snakes, though, which is kind of strange. But, and Did you want to see snakes? Oh, yeah. I mean, there, there were lots of uh, monitor lizards, so they're kind of the big lizards, yeah, like yeah. Uh, one and a half metres long. Oh, cool. And so they used to have these big holes which they used to hide in the desert, and they used to kind of run down sand dunes. There was a big tree of life in the desert we used to go to. They called it the tree of life, anyway. It was an interesting place, and there was this speech called the Sheikh's speech of the, the Sheikh of Bahrain, and I loved it because you go there and you, you could go to this little shop and you used to get free Coca-Colas and Fantas and stuff. <laughs> I mean, it was a child's dream, and then you could just wonder. They had these big grounds, and there was kind of rumours that the Sheikh would go looking for women on the beach who were bikini-clad and give them Rolex watches and invite them for tea and stuff. And I think he had six wives five or six wives and they each had their own palace because of course in Muslim culture you have to treat each woman equally that you're married to I mean like, it's difficult to describe it. I, suppose I, I suppose I'd actually have to go back there and see what it's it, like see what it's like, like now just yeah. to kind of figure out what it is that I felt then I mean sometimes I get smells of things that smell like Bahrain and because it was a little bit more vivid, I can't smell Jordan, but I can smell Bahrain sometimes. Well, you were young. If I think of my own life, like I was in a small village in North Wales between the age of three and eight, and that definitely feels like a magical time to me. Mm. I mean, it might just be a na- the nature of the age. Yes. And then the next, like I was between eight and 11, the golden age. I was in Coventry, where it wasn't so nice, <laughs> But it still seems kind of epic yeah. and mis- mis- yes. like myth- mythological when I think back on it. Mm. And everything after well, bigger, 11, it, it definitely feels, you know, smaller and smaller, I guess. Yeah. Um, so you came back to the UK when you were 11. Mm. Or 12. 12. Was that easy? Or? It was okay. I, I always felt a little bit alone, like people didn't understand me, but that might be my nature anyway. It's hard to um, know, isn't it? If well, it's nature I mean, or nurture you know, nature or nurture. Yeah, no. exactly. It's a debate we could have, but we're not on there. but yeah I always felt a little bit alone I I mean I've always struggled with the idea of connecting with people how do you have a true connection and if if there is such a thing as a true connection with people you know you always wanted to be deeper have a deeper connection and how do you have that even in a, a relationship it could never be deep enough for some people so in that sense I I I mean I liked I had some good friendships for, for a time. There's this boy called Adrian. He came from Australia over to UK. We used to have a fantastic time. He was kind of like me, free-spirited a little bit, I guess. And we used to just run around like lunatics, really. We didn't do much schoolwork. And then, unfortunately, he, his parents had a business, so they were trying to make him work in this business all the time. So he started missing school. And what they'd done, they'd gone bankrupt in Australia, come over here to start a business... And they sold their business and went back to Australia. So for the last like month or two, the friendship kind of simmers a little bit because because I wanted him to be in school because he was my best friend, and I also cared about him because I wanted to make sure he, he was getting the education he needed. 
and it's not, not really for me to judge, but I was young and naive then. He went away. We were friends when we left, but I lost contact with him. I'd love to see him again. And that kind of seems to be the nature of a lot of my friendships. Unfortunately. And so that, that experience happened in Guildford, is it? Yes, I was going to Guildford County School. Is that a comprehensive school? Yes. Yeah. Okay. yes. Before I move on to the kind of <laughs> non-childhood and oh, stuff, gosh. some for some reason I got this idea that you've had servants at one point. Is that right or wrong? We had a houseboy. A houseboy? Yeah. In... Uh, was it Houseboy? Yeah, it was Houseboy in Bahrain. Oh, okay. I don't know about Jordan. I can't remember. What's it like having a servant? I mean, that's a weird idea to me. I mean, it seems pretty horrific in a way to me. But Yeah, it's a kind of a standard model when you go yeah. to... I don't know whether you know, but I recently went to Chile and there's a whole part of society, anywhere from middle class upwards in Chile, that has... Not servants, I guess they call them maids there or something like that. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know whether you'd call, even call it a servant. A houseboy, they call it in Bali. Yeah, well, it's, it's, lots of cultures have servants. Yeah, I mean, exactly. I even, mean, I mean, the UK yeah, has, yeah, yeah. and still does, um, probably, in the right house. Nannies and exactly like that, yeah. But, I mean, he didn't cook for us. He just did the cleaning, really, and then that was it. I mean, according to my dad, he paid the guy quite a lot compared to average wages, and... He paid for his ticket back. I think we had two or three, but, but it, one in particular. And he said he was going away to, to India to see family or something because somebody was ill in his family and actually he'd been seen in Bahrain, so he'd probably taken the money and just... I guess he didn't have much... Well, well no, I completely agree. And, money himself. You know, I could justify it in those terms, but it was a strange one. I, and he couldn't speak English very well, obviously, so I found it kind of hard to talk to him. He was just, he was just there. And I, I suppose when you're five years old, you don't really question what's in front of you no, in, well, on those types of terms. Exactly, yeah. In Chile, one of the things I did was to try to photograph a little bit of that process. Some, there's always a maid. They're, they're almost part of the family, but they're not part of the family. You sometimes you'll sit down to dinner with them, you know, around the kitchen table and stuff, and, and it's really nice, and you talk to them and chat away with them, but... They're still separate. I mean, there's still this differentiation between yourself and them. And I must admit, being in Chile, and we, we said in a, a friend's house while we were there, a friend of Constanza's. Constanza's Chile. Yeah, and yeah. Constanza's my partner. We didn't catch that before. Yeah. So, yeah, we have opportunity to stay at this friend's house, and they have a lovely house with a swimming pool. And they have a yacht. <laughs> anyway, it was nice. And it was so nice just to have somebody there who would bring you your breakfast and you didn't have to worry about that stuff and you could get on with your thinking. You know, it goes back to the kind of idea of ancient Greece and Rome where you have the servants so your mind is free to yeah, concentrate the, on other things. But the servants uh, don't get to think. Well, they? I know, I know, they don't of course. Have that I know, I know. I, can, I completely agree, but there's something quite powerfully it can draw you to it oh, I can understand what's yeah. in it I can understand what's in it for the people with the servants yeah. absolutely but yeah. it's hard to to justify, to justify it. it I know it's it's a very odd one but um, it's so easy to. it's like a, the trappings of wealth isn't it yeah well it is it is a, it's a trap well, it's, so it's, it makes well, it's, your life I easier mean, it's, 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 I don't know it's a complicated thing I mean yeah, everybody has to make money within a, the system that we are all uh, entwined in and so if you are a good employer and you treat your servants well and they have lots of free time and have an active 
life or whatever around that and they're not miserable in their position then it might be better it might be more enjoyable for a human being to be a servant for a very nice person than to be working in McDonald's or to be cleaning for a multinational corporation whether you're a servant but you might not be treated very well but it's complicated it is it is extremely complicated and I don't don't deny there's problems with the idea uh, but it's uh it can be quite appealing. Constanza is deaf, that's right, yeah? Yes. Is it partially deaf or fully deaf? I, I believe it's profoundly in one ear mm. and almost virtually profoundly in the other. She can hear very high-pitched sounds, so if you squeak at her, she might hear you. How do you communicate with her? I don't sign, unfortunately, and I'm not very deaf-aware. I'm quite bad, and she tells me off quite regularly, unfortunately. I should go on a course. But it's um, hard to remember to always be looking. And I, know, I mean, like I was saying to you before we started recording, my mum my used to work with a deafblind charity, so I've been in experiences with deaf people. And for me, I find eye contact quite a difficult thing. Yes. Like I'm doing it with you now, yes, because that's what I, I do in these conversations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and I don't know why I find it uncomfortable. But looking into somebody's eyes is quite... Um, I mean, I always look to the side of the yes, person's head. I'm looking and, left, I'm looking out that window. And they always thinking. kind of move to yeah. get into, into, yeah. the, into the line of sight. So mm-hmm. I can understand that. So you communicate with her I, I know, through, I know it's So tiny. she can lip read and, you, and that's I, how you talk I, to I, Yeah, she has to lip read. But she does have her hearing aid, but it, she does need to lip read as well in conjunction. Is, uh, I do try and I do want to go on course, but it's money. Um, this comes back to the whole economic thing and, you know, the idea of servants and, yeah, you know... Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, do you think about the fact that she can't hit... How do you think that that relates to your relationship? She gets frustrated and she also gets very tired because she has such a a wearing job, I suppose. She works with deaf children and she's a clinical psychologist, so she works with quite troubled children. Yeah. So as a consequence, she has a lot of emotional stuff going on. Obviously, I wouldn't want to get into detail. No, no, no. She can come home very tired and then to have, on top of that, me not looking at her and communicating with her in a way that she can easily understand is a problem. So she does get frustrated sometimes. You're a house husband. Yeah. So she comes home from a difficult, high-powered job where she has to deal with life and death and important issues, and you're the house husband. Mm -hmm. Do you find yourself in a position that a lot of housewives have where you kind of feel you've been with the kid all day and you've been doing all the things and now (laughs) you want to have a rest, but you you know... Do you, do, you get, do you find that there's frustrations on your side, or do you find... Well, I don't know. I, I mean, the name Alexander means helper of mankind. And so, <laughs> and so I kind of accept that role, really. Because of it, it's your name? I don't know whether it's because of my name because I, or because I'm a helpful person or because I want to be a helpful person. But whatever the reason... I'm happy to do it. I mean, of course I get tired. But it's not a burden, if that makes sense. It's not an emotional burden. It could be a physical burden, I guess. I mean, I'm not that fit. I just take it on. You know, obviously I'll have a grumble and I'll get grumpy if I don't have a good night's sleep. I didn't have that good night's sleep last night, but I think too much, which is going on a tangent. So... Do you think, you think, I mean, do you think that thinking too much is a problem? I think it's too much... I think it's a problem if you don't get much sleep. <laughs> you can't function probably the next day. Um, I don't think thinking in itself is a... Is so a the reason you find it hard to sleep sometimes is because your thoughts won't turn off. Yeah, I get thinking that. Thinking about reality. I have that. The universe. And 
I don't know if I'm thinking of such well, you, high, you know, high, stand, high well, are they, they are, I mean, is, I mean, they're all surface, really. We can talk about knowledge and what is knowledge and truth, but really, we will. We can only ever describe the surface of anything. So really, how different is talking about reality to thinking about theatre or your next? Who you're going to be talking to next? No, or getting better acquainted? It's a weird thing. I, so I'm at the moment in the process of uh, referring myself for cognitive behavioural therapy on okay. the NHS. Yes. And I, I was... some of that. Yeah, well, that's, <laughs> that's what I was thinking myself, yeah. so about myself. And... On a phone conversation where they assess you over the phone, the question was, do you worry about random things that aren't kind of related to your life? And I was like, well, I, I don't know if anything isn't related to my life. And I don't know what you consider to be unrelated to my life. So if I'm worrying about the fact that my iPhone is made by Chinese workers and that the materials inside it are causing war in the Congo and that's something that I'm worried about and that's keeping me up from you know keep getting me in one of those loops where I'm worried Mm. worried worried so you're talking about ethics yeah but if I'm worrying about that lots of people are going to say well that's that's a random that you know that's unrelated to your life that's not directly but it is related to my life so so the problem is my problem with that conversation was that I don't know what the assessor's morality is what their opinions are so i can't answer their question very easily because i don't know what they see as relevant and what is irrelevant to my life uh, can i give you a ridiculous example i for a little while i thought about just getting a little part-time job so i i thought about applying to sainsbury's to be a driver (laughs) right and so they give you this form that you have to fill in and then they give you a questionnaire and they give you all these questions like, if you forget to leave a certain item at somebody's house, do you go back immediately? Do you go back at the end of the day? Do you rearrange the appointment? Well, actually, for me, that's a really difficult question to answer because it could be anything. It depends on the policy of the, of the company. And, if, and that all depends on how capitalist-orientated you are or how customer-orientated you are. And if they don't explain to you that at the beginning of their spiel, yeah. then how are you supposed to assess that? And so I got rejected <laughs> because I because I wasn't consi- deemed to be a suitable candidate because I couldn't I couldn't didn't know how to answer the questions because for me it was a completely open book about the moral position that I should be holding with this company. I guess you could say I will do whatever your policy dictates. Exactly. That's, I mean, is that did you? But, put- but no, but it was a questionnaire. So you fill out the questionnaire and they base whether they're going to take you on. On that, you know, you don't have to answer those questionnaires truthfully. You can just say what you think they want. But I don't know what they thought. Yeah, because they didn't give any indication of what type of policy they had towards customers and and how you're out there. No, I can, I can, I can. In the real world, I can see that. And I mean, mean, for me, it's a really difficult. But I mean, but I mean, I'm somebody who I, I I probably I've been accused and I've self-accused myself of thinking too much. I think you're someone who also has probably heard that. I have heard a lot from a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, mean, I imagine you're exactly the same. Well, I don't know if I'm exactly the same. I well, think, no, but in I that think, sense. I think my thoughts and my worries and stuff, they spin around. They'll go from big, sort of big, complicated things about the universe and humanity to really mundane, kind of trivial concerns. But they'll all, they're all be very kind of self-centred, I guess. But uh, you, you, you're kind of much more of a kind of 
I don't know. There's a different. I can't. I can't describe it. But there's a different quality to your overthinking than there is to mine. But I don't know. I don't, I would, I don't know what. I don't know what it is. I, I couldn't necessarily put a finger on it. I don't think I could either. I, do, I don't know whether the. I mean, you know I, I think mean? about the same things as you. I can think about everyday things. I think about what is knowledge. How do how do I acquire acquire it? I, I think about the universe, what it could be. I think what, I've got. What, what I, could the whole of reality be? You I know, think I've got more, more constants. I think I've got. I, I, there, there are more things. I think I know. Okay. Oh, I see. I are we talking about? So the I, I, I worry about things, okay. but I, I, I worry about things that I think I know about. So I might be worrying about my iPhone, but I, that's because of what I know about my iPhone. It's, it's not like I don't, I don't say, well, what is truth? Why? Like I, okay. I, I just accept there is no such thing as objective truth, but we have to live in the world anyway, and just, and just get up, go on about my business. Whereas that kind of, uh, I'm not saying that you don't go on about your business, but you, you know that. That's not something that you'll you never kind of make a definite, hundred percent conclusion. Would you say? Or well, I, I I would disagree that there is an objective truth. It depends on the type of truth you're examining. The closest thing to the truth is a description. So, imagine this pencil that I'm holding my hand. If we want to talk about for a description, st- for a start, it's a pen. Oh, well, a pen, yes. <laughs> no, no, that's um, all right. That's kind of a joke about truth. No, no, no. But it's, it's a fair point. But imagine if you want to know everything about this pen, then what you have to do is you have to have... You have to map every particle and you have to understand every particle from the beginning to the end of how this becomes this pen right back through the beginning of time. And, and theoretically, that could be possible but in reality it would never be possible to have a complete epistemology of this pen a complete knowledge of this pen and what and you're not just looking at the path but you're also looking at the context as well but you're what its history is yeah but it's the observer as well isn't it so the reason i say there's no such thing as objective truth is because you're the observer mapping i mean as you're saying, it's an, imp- it's an impossibility to map that. But, it, but if you did map it, you would still be a person subjectively interpreting, if, if it, interpreting that information. If a tree falls in a forest, yeah. it does make a sound. Of course it does. There's never, so, a, there's never nothing there to not hear it. Exactly. There's always so, some kind of thing which can hear that sound. W- w- I mean, th- what I'm saying is that the, the ability... There's a differentiation between there not being objective truth and our ability to access that truth. Okay. I don't think we can access truth entirely, and I don't think we can access it to to an ounce of a degree that is. Wow, what is that? Sound? Is that just people moving their chairs? Yeah, amazing. Is a sudden lot of sound breaking through the objective truth there <laughs> in my head. You and I differ quite significantly. You believe in subjectivity. I believe. I well, certainly to a degree. I don't think. I think it's difficult to be objective, but I think somebody like. Albert Einstein had moments of objectivity. There you go. I guess that's the difference in our overthinking. Your overthinking is all related to the idea that there is such a thing as objectivity, and that is possible. Whereas my overthinking is all absolutely well, it, subjective, if, self-obsessed neurosis. If, if we weren't <laughs> able to, if we weren't able to be objective, then we would never have concluded one plus one equals two. 
Well, that's actually the closest I've ever got to the idea of there being objective that maths, maths. is maybe the only, ob- but if, but if, if, the only kind of definite, like one but, plus one definitely equals but two. If, but if we didn't, if we weren't able to be objective at some point, then we wouldn't be able to. It wouldn't equal two. I don't mean it, it would, that wouldn't be a stable. No, we've figure. just all subjectively observed something that we can all agree on. I mean, I, I don't think that necessarily means that we're objective when we when we've noticed that. Maybe. So do. Now we're getting into the kind of philosophy subjects. Do you find it hard to act or, or easy to act? Are you Hamlet or are you somebody who's not Hamlet? You know. I mean, I'm more of a thinker than a doer, probably, if that's what you mean. I guess so. In theory, I could be stifled by my thinking. So, but I don't necessarily think I'm intelligent. I think I make a differentiation. What's What's your definition of intelligence? I, I think it demands more than just thinking. I think it demands a grasp of reality, and I don't necessarily know how strong my ability to study and understand reality is, if that makes sense. Okay. I would love to have been a great thinker, but I don't think I am. Okay. I think I mean that's I think that's an interesting observation in itself though. I I'd love to have contributed to knowledge in a truly valuable way. I think earlier I said I was a Socratic philosopher. I don't know whether you know about Socrates, but essentially Socrates he used to kind of wander the streets talking to people, questioning their values. And I guess that's the only way I do philosophy. And question things. I can't make a significant contribution to knowledge, but I can help other try and help other people find a way to it. If I happen to meet the right person, who knows if I will ever, ever meet the right person who can do such a thing? But yeah. So you see, my, that's my function. I see myself philosophically. So you challenge other people in the hope that they will come to a well significant conclusion. <laughs> It's getting the, the questions out in the world, isn't it? And there's a, there's a whole bunch of philosophers who aren't as great thinkers out there but want to contribute to the debate, if you like. And their contribution is to keep on questioning, whereas yeah. others are the ones who will write dissertations and PhDs. And, you know, and, you've and, assume, and assuming that philosophy is that useful. And you've studied philosophy. Yeah. I but I wasn't a very good philosopher. <laughs> I got a third and... I bet. Well, I'm not saying that you're a good or a bad <laughs> philosopher, but it's I, difficult but to gauge. I, whether, whether you're good or bad or not, I don't think an academic mark is necessarily. I don't think it's necessarily because, reflection. Because I'm, I, I'm sure that loads of the, uh, the, the the philosophers of in history would have got bad marks in philosophy. Maybe. What was, they might have been more conscientious. Is it, who is it? Di- Di- Diagonus or something? The, the, the one who thought behaved like a dog. I don't know. Uh, there was some di- Diogenes the cynic, maybe something like that. He decided to just behave like a dog and just uh, okay. crawled about and, and shat where he liked and, and, and just like was disgusting. <laughs> um, because uh, I don't think he'd have got a good mark at, <laughs> at university. Why would I do that? <laughs> no, <laughs> certainly. You've studied a number of different times, haven't you? You're a mature student, I guess, when I met you. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I retook. I started doing chemistry, biology, physics. I never really understood the point of homework, so I was never going to be able to really have an aptitude for getting through those A-levels very well. So I gave that up and did English, media studies, arts, and general studies. And uh, passed those okay. And then went to Aberdeen University, 
did history of arts, had a bit of philosophy for two years, that didn't work out, then went to Lancaster, did arts and philosophy in the first year, didn't like work in arts, so I changed to philosophy and came out with a third, probably the only one in the year. <laughs> I was a bit of a mess when I left Lancaster because um, I was one of those students who got so caught up with living philosophically instead of studying philosophy as a, as a discipline that I think it screwed me up. I, got, I, got, I didn't study existentialism. Being aware of a little bit of the idea of existentialism is a bit dangerous because if you don't look at the whole picture, essentially in existentialism you're thrown into the world and it kind of, it, it's kind of meaningless. The world is meaningless. You have to make your own meaning. But if, you're not a, if you haven't thought through the arguments and that well, you can create your Kier- own meaning... Kierkegaard... Kierkegaard came to the conclusion that you need to give yourself over to a higher power. Maybe. I think, yeah. I, think I mean, I've, was, I've, um, I've done a little bit of... Leap of uh, faith. Exactly. Yeah. Um, um, and and I, I kind of know what he means. Like, yeah. I, I kind of... I dig, I dig Kierkegaard. I can't read him. I can only read, mm. you know... Not so many people the can. Begin, I can't read Beginner's Guide to Kierkegaard. I yeah. can read that because somebody's drawn some pictures. Yeah. I'm probably exactly the same as you. My thing with philosophy is that whilst I'm interested in a lot of the ideas, mm. I like ideas to have kind of practical applications yeah. or to be connected to reality a little bit more than I find sometimes. And then that, this is a ridiculously no, no, generalising comment about philosophy. But f- philosophy filters down in a way. I mean, yeah. Uh, I mean, if you if you think about what philosophy is, it's the process of questioning and trying to seek answers. So if you, I mean, science is a branch of philosophy, really. Yeah. But it's got a different methodology. It's branched away from from just formal logic to a, a practical methodology. Yeah. So it is philosophy, but it's. it's a, no, no, I mean, I, 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 and the well, same with all, well, I mean, all forms of science came a- from philosophy, exactly. didn't it? I mean, it in is, terms of the yeah. ancient Greeks, like, like you're saying, yeah. I mean, there wasn't a distinction between artist, philosopher, writer, exactly. journalist, all of these things. They were just that's what that's what Aristotle was. Mm. That's what Socrates was. That's what Plato was. So you had a vague understanding of existentialism. Yeah, and, and I think I got caught up in the fact that I. There was no meaning, and rather than recognising that, well, you have to create, create your own meaning, I'm all right. I probably always have a problem with it, but um, if you get caught up with the idea there's no meaning to existence, then you can be kind of, become quite hopeless. Ne- and that's ne- a really, it's a really difficult place to find yourself. Kind of Nietzschean, Nietzschean, I can never say his name. Yeah, Nietzsche's Nietzsche. yeah, yeah, yeah. Nietzsche yeah, he... he said God is dead and we have killed him yeah. I think it was kind of a response to Darwin discovering evolution and that kind of yeah. thing yeah I mean Nietzsche was, had some interesting profound things to say I, it's, it's difficult to say because I can't remember my I, I, love, I love Nietzsche I think he's a fascinating philosopher but no I mean it's hard to it's hard to talk about things that you have when you I haven't studied it for a while. Well, I mean, so. I think you're being you're you're being pretty wise there because I mean, it's very easy when there's a microphone on to forget that the microphone's there and try and know about things which you don't know. But which you know, I'm I'm I, always listening I did back to myself. Again, yeah, but but, but it's a I mean, I did essays on you know Shakespeare or you know Ar- Aristotle's yeah. a good one, right? A good example of this. I dropped Aristotle's name just now. I, I feel I kind of know a lot about Aristotle in terms of dramatic structure, like the way that that 
in his rules for theatre. I, I wrote a, 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 okay. a, I wrote an essay about his rules for theatre. I'm saying all this now, but I know very well if I was to just try and tell you what what I knew, yeah. I wouldn't bloody be able to do it because you know. Even if the knowledge is in there, you're so insecure that it's wrong that you don't. You yeah, so don't phrase I mean, it right. that is something we have in common. That that insecurity of of certainty, I think we have a little bit of that in common. Yeah. in that sense, because I think that's how we've had that conversation before a long time. Ago. I find the problem for me often is that I'm not insecure in the moment, but then as soon as it's over, I look back and go, yes. "God, what did I say?" But that's important, I think, is a, a feedback loop. We're quite we're pretty close to the end of the conversation. The last thing I, on my list of things that I would like to cover is your idea for this novel. Yeah, oh, <sighs> Yeah, an ethicist who has his child taken away from him and what he will do, whether he will break boundaries in order to punish or... Whatever the people, it's you know, kind of a classic in, thriller setup, isn't it? In terms of it's a bit like like that Liam Neeson thing taking. Yeah, I, yeah, I suppose so. But, it, but but I suppose the edge is the the ethical side of it. What really exploring it philosophically. I mean, the trick. So he's going to be an ethical lecturer. But if you if you're going to pitch if you're pitching it to people, don't start off with the word ethicist. Well, <laughs> I mean, he I mean, could if, be an if, ethicist. If, if, but if it was successful, it would be a niche market. I think. To say the least, there's always a few philosophical novelists, aren't there? Yeah, there are. But <laughs> what I thought was interesting when you, because you you pitched this to me because you were you were having trouble. You pitched it to well, me in an email. I always have trouble writing. <laughs> well, writing's yeah. a hard thing to do. It is. Yeah. You have to have quite hard discipline with yourself. Yeah. That's an area where I think we're slightly different. Yes. <laughs> I lack discipline, distinctly. Yeah, I could do a little less sometimes, though. So, yeah. I mean, you know, balance is always like... It doesn't stop when you're Probably a kid. Learn from each other. You know, the whole of your life you're looking for balance, or I am. Yeah. The thing that interested me about your story idea is the kind of... the absolutely directly, obviously autobiographical, potentially, yeah. element of it. <coughs> Clearly I have a daughter, and I, I mean I love my daughter very much, so... Is it something you worry about a lot? Like her yeah. being taken from Well, her. I mean, in theory, yeah, I mean, I doubt, I doubt it would happen. I'd keep a close eye on her. Yeah. But you can't always keep a close eye on your children when you have them. I and mean, eventually you've got to allow them the space to grow on their own. And if you don't allow them that space, then what happens? They become too dependent or something. Well, absolutely. Well, I think when you love some people very much, then the worst things happening to them does become something that kind of preoccupies you. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you re- remember this, you might do. At uni, I wrote a radio play where a character based on my father died and a character okay. based on Jen was brutally raped. Okay. And then that led to this, the end of the relationship between her and the main character, who I guess was based on me. But that was very much because I was like, big in love with Jen, really enjoying lots of elements of my life. And then I was like, what could take these away? Mm. Like, what would... Like, I'm posing loving a, all this. Posing it, a question. How could it all go? Where, what would knock it away? Yeah. Like, how could I have all of this happiness taken from me? Yeah. And then, you know, that did become something that I kind of played out in fiction. Yeah. Sort of, maybe to protect myself, maybe. I, like, if I've played it out already, if it happens, then I'll be ready for it. It's about morality, isn't it, for, for my 
study. I guess it stemmed from the idea. I was sitting, we were sitting in Pizza Express and having a discussion about ethics. And I said, oh, it's all just morally relative, blah, blah, blah. And then Constanza said, oh, you use that as an excuse to win an argument. And I thought, well, maybe you're right. Maybe it's an easy answer just to say everything's more relative and what's the point in having a stance. So <laughs> I went away and I got my anthology of ethics out <laughs> and I made it from cover to cover. <laughs> Actually, no, I, I, I tell a lie. I, I read it till the very last two chapters. So there's about 30 pages left and I've still got to finish those. And I'm on religion and ethics which is one of the last few so and then I started thinking well you know where do I stand and my my stance has really become that we just don't know where ethics stands we want to know and of course people will try and throw answers at you and say that they are the right way but really what that is doing is being sophistic Um, and there are probably what you have to then ask is what works practically for example, do you use something like utilitarianism, or you look at the greatest happiness, or something like feminist ethics to help inform care um, in communities? So, does it become about goodness, or does it become what, about what works? And at the moment, because because we don't have answers, it has to be about what works. Well, I call myself. I mean, I don't think very often in terms of philosophy. I think in terms of kind of art or politics generally. And so where I'm at in terms of myself politically now is I call myself, listeners to the show probably sick of this, but I call myself a a pragmatic anarchist because whilst I might want the kind of end result of anarchy, of a new way of structuring the world without hierarchies that's not obtainable necessarily no, so no, you have not. to go with the closest possible fit oh, so, do you think that closest fit is? well I don't know I mean, that's, why <laughs> it's a problem, I, isn't that's it? why it becomes very pragmatic so for example I do not want in the current situation our welfare state to be uh, dismantled because whistled away by conservatives but if I was to talk about my ultimate view of a, of a society it would be one without power structures yes. and a welfare state is a structure but 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 what's the work you know if that welfare state is taken away it's not going to be replaced with anarchy or an anarchist kind of communist community it's going to be replaced with hard aligned capitalism and so it's going to be more structured less opportunities for people who are unequal Mm. like for the disenfranchised to have hope in a, in, a, in a situation where they have to then pay for all of their health care and, and then they have no access to education and these sorts of things because that becomes a, a thing that is related to how much money you've got and not, ha- and, 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 and not a basic thing that everyone has access to. So practically speaking, that needs to be protected. And, and that's, a, that's kind of my example of, of, of what you're talking about. What works? That's going well... What what is good to me politically might be getting rid of power structures. It might be having as much equality, having decentralised communities where social where, justice. Yeah, well, I mean, I think it's in, in terms of if if you're if you if you know directly the, 
if your community knows its leaders directly, personally, mm. then they are held much more accountable in a way that we, we, we can never have with a bigger organisational structure. If you look at something like Europe and how it often interferes with Britain, you, that's a good analogy because Europe doesn't know Britain's needs necessarily, kind of legislation, etc. So, so you can look at that on a local level. If you have somebody in the community working with the community, then not only can they more be more accountable, but also they will understand the needs of the local community better if, they, if there's a much more close-knit community. Absolutely. But, I mean, even, even a situation where you are direct, you have a smaller community which has its leaders direct, directly accountable in a personal way, that's, in a way, just a means to an end, from my point of view. That's just a pragmatic step, because I would like to see a situation where there are no leaders, where people share leadership, where leadership is not something that is about power but it's maybe something that's about responsibility and we all have take responsibility you, for our community group do you, you know? I mean I wonder whether there's a problem and for ourselves with with the idea of shared responsibility because I I wonder whether people want to have somebody as a kind of icon they do want that and but and it I, isn't in their best interest necessarily well, uh, or in any of our I best know interests. but what I mean is if you start decentralizing I wonder whether eventually somebody will just emerge anyway and take over and take over well, this Not, is, this how is, do you and then you have to have a system for preventing that and then that means there's a system well this is my ultimate problem it's, I mean that is the problem ultimately I wonder if human nature isn't such that we are the way we are because that's the only way we can be yeah, and we can try and change things but actually what our nature through no fault like it doesn't mean that we're bad it just means that just part of the nature, like through evolution and the way that animals are, is that we are in a situation where we can only kind of... Think in terms of hierarchy. Yeah, that's we right. We are higher. Maybe. Because, it, because if you think Maybe. about how we structure our minds... But we have consciousness, so we can choose to try and change the way that we are. Yeah, I mean, Marx thought human nature depended on the system. Of course, it's the nature-nurture debate. It's come back yeah. circle again he thought that depending on the system the nature of the human beings would change that's so right the blank slate exactly yeah so I mean there's something in that and people certainly I mean you know people are a bit shy of talking about communism but um, really there's no form of communism that has actually been fully communist no, it's as far as I'm right. I mean, and, and, and it's this form of kind of dictatorial socialism and actually I think probably an anarchist an anarchist state or an anarchist existence is very much kind of similar uh, to a communist state. I mean, I don't like socialism, but I'm all for communism. <laughs> Indeed. Um, but if it could work properly. Well, this is the thing. We'll never know if it works. And the older I get, the more I think it's related to nature than we than I thought when I was younger. Mm. You know, I, I mean, it's hard to say when I look at my own personal life what is nature and what is nurture because my upbringing was both my nature and my nurture so either way it's kind of come from my parents whether it's the way they brought me up or whether it's the genes that they have bequeathed me either way it's not their fault is my current way of thinking but but I look you know my mum's mum and then back through the generations and you know there's something of nature there 
there is something of, of genes passed on that have characteristics of personality as well as appearance. Can everyone for 12.30 backstage tour please make their way to the information desk on the ground floor. So, everyone for 12.30 backstage tour please make their way to the information desk please. Thank you. So with that interruption into our kind of uh, where we context of, yeah into the, the type part of the conversation reminded me of the kind of conversations that we had when we when we first met really what kind of conversations did we have I can't, I can't well, remember well normally about you would be asking me questions <laughs> about what I thought yeah and then I would be answering them and then you would counter counter argument mm-hmm. yeah argue with them and uh, sometimes it was Sometimes it was very enlightening. Sometimes it was just a bit of a circular thing. Well, sometimes it gets frustrating, but sometimes yeah. people don't. I mean, I've I've come across people who have not recognised when something isn't circular, but they're not recognising the differentiation in the language. So semantics is important. So you might be getting closer and closer to a conclusion, but they feel like you're just repeating yourself. Yeah, I mean, you can end up being dichotomous, but if you don't get to that dichotomous position, you know, the two sides, if you like, then... Um, but people don't want to get to that point where it gets really deep. They just want to kind of dismiss it and go on their way because they don't, people don't like to have those types of conversations most of the time. So, Generally I mean, speaking. I, I find that to be... I mean, I don't necessarily hit people straight away with philosophy, although I can. <laughs> although I can. But I, I do certainly find that a lot of people in their everyday lives don't want to talk to somebody who immediately talks about what you might call... I feel a bit pretentious. Deep. Yeah, exactly. In inverted commas. In inverted commas. Deep yeah. things. It does feel pretentious, doesn't it? Yeah. Mm. I mean, because it implies that you, you think deeply and exactly. they don't think deeply, which exactly. isn't true. Although I, mean, I have to say that, that we do need to contemplate the potential situation, and I think this is definitely true, that there are lots of people who are just content and happy in their lives and aren't thinking about lots of things, and that, and that's and they're fine with that. Yeah, and they don't... And they don't like, that's something that I... I don't want to be conscientious I mean, I'm, life, I'm jealous of those people, mm. Alex. I, I, I really? want to not think as much as I do. I don't sense that you are jealous of them. I'm not really, because, because I don't really think ignorance is bliss. No, I... I think ignorance is ignorance, and I think it's a terrible thing. And, I mean, yeah, you know, there's one of those little sayings, and I, I don't like sayings like that, really. You know, it's not a good thing to be ignorant. I mean, I'm not, I mean, some people aren't necessarily ignorant, but they just want to get on. They just, they, but. I mean, I think you're much, generally speaking, I, I <laughs> it's find a struggle, that you're much though. more comfortable in the position of being somebody that questions the world. I'm really would like there to be solutions and just to stop thinking about things that stress me out and worry me and just be able to just enjoy but, the moment but you've hit the nail on the head have peace but you want there to be solutions but the, the thing is you know there aren't yeah that's the reason why people like you and I do continue to think yeah but I think that I need to get to a point where I You're don't just know intellectually that there aren't solutions but understand so emotionally that there aren't <laughs> solutions and then I can relax yeah yeah I, I mean I would like to be at peace in that sense yeah I would like to be at peace. I mean, but I'm not willing to be at peace by sacrificing a recognition that something isn't finished. You know, for me, when people say they are religious, that's like ignoring the fact that we don't know 
whether there is a God or not um, in terms of science and that they're saying they're equating faith with knowing which to me is problematic and it, they're making a choice to believe so me as an agnostic recognises I'm an agnostic too rec- well I mean I, I recognise that I don't know and, and I don't necessarily think that's an easy path but should we choose the easy path you know do we do we have to choose the easy path? Is it better to choose the easy path? Well, who was it? I can't remember which poet. Sure. I think it was Robert Frost, maybe. Two <coughs> paths converged in the wood and me, I took the longer and was happier for it or something like that. I mean, I don't know whether I'd be happier for it. Well, but no, it, I don't it, even it, know it who is, was happier. Yeah, that no, might no, be a misquotation, but, but it was it, the idea of that is that the one that's better is the harder one, you know, the longer yeah, one. Maybe. Maybe more satisfying. Sometimes I think the quicker one might be better. Though. <laughs> actually, actually, the the long hard path might end up just dwindling around and going back on itself, and then ending up in a dead end. Well, does it, does it, the quick one might be the one that gives you contentment. Does it does it matter that, say, for example, that we die not knowing, or that we die thinking that we know? Does that really make a difference? I'm not sure whether it does. I suppose the idea of contentment: can you be content without knowing? Can you be content without thinking, you know? No, well, it comes, what is contentment anyway? It comes know, back to the whole idea of is, it, is it better to be an unhappy Aristotle or a happy, ignorant person? Mm, like, the mob or something. Like there's, a, there's a quote, I can't remember the quote, but it's a yes. philosophy quote. Ricky Gervais know. uses it yeah. quite a lot about the office. The yeah, and it, I, I think it's more fun to be it's more enjoyable for the individual to be not intelligent but happy I think that's better but at the same time it's not something we have a choice in do you wonder whether there's and I don't even know if it is intelligence like I think it's 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 a it's a it's It's a a, pragmatic intelligence perhaps well I think I think it's a kind of conceit of people who are unsettled in their selves to give it an intellectual kind of framework where people say, oh, I'm, a, I'm unhappy because I think too much. But actually, I'm unhappy because I'm unhappy, and the symptom, perhaps, of my unhappiness is that I think too much. That might be, like, you well, could reverse it. Well, yeah, I, mean, I don't know, I don't know. Rounds, yeah. I don't know if I... I mean, I'm, not, yeah. I, I'm, I'm making that statement, and I don't know if I agree <laughs> with it. But I... I the thing is, generally, I, I acknowledge that I'll have moments of happiness and moments of sadness, and moments of feeling lonely and not you know it, it comes with the territory of life yeah so that's true one of the things you have to ask I guess is are there different levels of happiness I mean is, is pleasure physical pleasure hedonism is that a kind of quite a base pleasure or, I mean are we going to be kind of elitist and say some pleasures are better than others some happinesses are more valuable than others I don't know whether I can say that or not. I don't know. I haven't drawn a conclusion about it. There's a lot of pleasures are pretty fantastic. Yeah, well, there's a lot of people who say you know hedonism is just nonsense. You need to be able to achieve that kind of happiness without the kind of trappings of hedonism. Like people Mm. who talk about meditation as being the way that you achieve happiness without alcohol or other things that could could put you into those kind of states. I mean, I, I material always possessions. material possessions, all of those, get rid of all of them and you can find it within yourself. I don't know. I just don't know. Yeah. And 
<laughs> really? I mean, wasn't that wasn't that going to be the way of this conversation? Well, yeah, anyway. I knew I knew it would get into this kind of area, certainly. And <laughs> of I, uncertainty. I think we hit it at a good time as well. I think it's nice to be specific before you become general. General. Yeah. And I mean, I mean, sorry. No, no, no. I was just going to say that I think it was Siddhartha Buddha. One of his fundamental philosophical beliefs was that the more possessions you have the more you want so if you take away your desire for things then you'll be happy because you'll never be wanting for more if that makes sense I know what you, I know that I understand that but I don't think you can close the box very easily once you've had the exposure to mm. the things it's very hard to take them away he had all those things he was a prince I think yeah I'm not and saying he went, he went out into yeah. the world. I'm not saying it's he, a, it's not achievable. He found himself. No, no, of course not. It's just it's hard. Yeah. And I, I'm certainly I don't think I'm as strong a personality <laughs> as, as, as the Buddha. No. Just been reading about Socrates, and apparently he had an incredibly strong will. The Greeks at the time seemed to think he had the greatest will and strength of will, and because he could just go without eating, and he would walk barefoot in freezing cold conditions in winter and strength of mind and he was wise and he thought that he knew nothing and in his final speech before he had to take hemlock he said he said something along the lines that the oracle is wise for thinking that I am wise because the oracle knows that we know nothing and, and that I know nothing obviously he did know something because otherwise he wouldn't have been able to have verbally express that he knows nothing but it's the acknowledgement that he doesn't know as much as he would like to and I, mean, I think I, that's a value and we need to remember that as certainly as philosophical beings because we are philosophical regardless of whether we want to acknowledge it or not we do think about the world we want to understand it and some people focus on it and some people try not to the last kind of question that I ask people is do you have anything to plug and it can be your own projects or it can be your point of view on I don't know really have any projects as I mean the only thing I would probably plug is probably a few books yeah go on uh, there's fine. a fantastic book called An Intimate History of Humanity by Theodore Zeldin Arata An Examined Life by George Steiner which is very very interesting An Unbearable Likeness of Being Those three. I'm a thinker not, a, not much of a doer but, you know, maybe one day I'll get to... My, my family are quite slow on the action front. They take things slowly. My, like, both my uncles have got businesses, but they only really started their own businesses when into their 40s and 50s. So there's a slow uptake. I don't know whether it's because of our minds or because we just take things too slowly or we like, don't have that sense of urgency. How old are you now? I'm 33. 33? Mm. Same age as Jesus. When he wow. died. <laughs> I'm, Fantastic. Uh, yeah. I'm hoping not to die. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it, you can't beat Jesus, but you've still got time to uh, uh, catch up with... There's a lot of people who do things late in life that I, are significant. Yeah, I suppose... I mean, it's important to do something significant for society. I struggle with that question. Does it really matter? I mean, do, do we have to leave a legacy? I don't... I, I've struggled with that as well, I have to say. So you, I mean, you must be quite aware of it because you are doing something. You are leaving a legacy. I'm trying. Yeah. I have been trying. Is to. that important to you? 
Well, it has been important to me most of my life, but I am increasingly thinking that... See, what's important to me is that like a work of art can't exist in a vacuum. It has to be seen, and so it's important that my work gets seen, and it's important that my work is responded to. Mm. But whether that has to be something as big as my childhood's hope, <laughs> you know, yeah. whether I have to be a rock star, whether I have to be a best-selling author, maybe what's best for me is to be happy with what I can achieve, and maybe, you know, I'm not going to ever turn down an opportunity to reach a wider audience. But I think that it's important to stop being so concerned with reaching an audience that it kind of makes you unhappy. And I want to be happy. I'm ready to be happy, Alex. But do, do you think, you're a, Let me do you be think happy. <laughs> happiness is, a, is an ongoing process? Like the desire to get more things, it, it keeps going. It's like a line, like a, the arrow of time. Happiness is like an hour of time. I don't know. The thing about happiness is that it's really hard to achieve because you can get, you can have a better, human beings get used to any situation very quickly and then we quickly become dissatisfied with it. So I now have a much better standard of life than I have had in different times of my life, but I still get annoyed about other things that get in the way of the life now, you know? I guess I am going towards the, the Buddha, I am going towards the point of view of the happiness that you can find, you have to kind of find within yourself. There are lots of lucky people, and I don't begrudge them this luck, I used to, but I don't begrudge them this luck, who are, na- ha- through their upbringing, through their life, have security, have happiness, have contentedness about the world as part of who they are but I don't have that so I have to learn to work with what I've got and push myself into the into the situation that gives me the most opportunity to enjoy life and so I think that maybe through podcasting getting better acquainted certainly that that's been something I've experienced in this project is I mean, you, do you know what you're doing with you're, what I'm doing you're doing an, an ethnographic project in essence do you know what ethnography is can you define it <laughs> it evolves out of anthropology so it was a set of methodologies used to study tribal groups it could be statistical it could be other methods having conversations yeah. Integrating yourself into those societies, small societies, and then what happened was they realised that there were lots of different groups, not just away over there in those foreign people, but everywhere. So you have ethnographic projects across the world. So this is, in a way, kind of historical ethnographic projects. That's cool. And I, and I, 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 I'm glad that the, your definition was the same as the one that I understood. Yeah, I, that's it's interesting. I got, I got you to it's define it, rich. not because I didn't understand it, but because yeah. I was worried I didn't. <laughs> no, well, no, I mean, you know, not many people know. Well, come across it, so you have yeah. to define these things. No, I've got friends. You've got to think do about anthropology. Do they? Yeah. yeah, I find ethnography fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. It's such a rich subject. It is an ethnographic project. It is a kind of oral history. There yes. is that strand to it. But I mean, it's also a kind of quest to to find, find myself, as yeah. much as to find other people. Trying to get other people's wisdom to help you find your way, mm. and also to learn to listen to other people's wisdom. So difficult. It's so difficult. I, I, yeah, it I is. struggle with it all the time. It is. We struggle with our getting away from our own voice, don't we? Oh God! Now that is that is that's why I'm afraid of meditation because 
my voice you, doesn't stop well, in my head all the time. Well, it's meditation makes you focus even I know, more on your I know. own voice. No, no, no. It's supposed to get rid of it, but I. Really? But it, I don't think it would. Like, it, I, I think I would just be like, like. Well, it, I'm it, afraid of silence. It makes you, know, you focus on yourself even more. I mean, I suppose the idea is that you're focusing on yourself for a specific period of time. I think so it's, on you focus on, out it's, on, it's on nothingness almost, though. It's, it's on achieving a kind of state where you just are there and you're not thinking about the future and you're not thinking about the past. You exist like, in a kind of limbo. Yeah, it's being in the moment, completely in the moment and content within that. that that's the idea of it, I think. Are we going to run out of time? We are going to run out of time. And in fact, we've gone that's wildly over, but I think that's, that's fine. L- living is a bit of a kind of quest, I guess, to find yourself. And this project is kind of a way of making well, that into well, a, an art form. Making a narrative well, I think out it's of a good life. narrative to have. I don't think there's anything wrong with having that narrative. But, but then maybe life isn't narratives. narrative. I mean, maybe life isn't narrative. I mean, maybe, it, maybe we just impose well, narrative it, onto life, you know? Like that's yeah, we, the thing we, I worry we, about as a we writer. We impose a narrative structure, don't yeah. we? That we, we, we take life and we, we make it make sense to us. Yes. And the way well, that we, we do that to. is to by reducing it into a system. But look, if we if we didn't have generalizations, for example, we wouldn't be able to function in the world. If we thought the sun yeah. was just gonna die and explode every morning but here's because con- we couldn't make that because we couldn't make that generalization because we were incapable of it, then how would we function? But here's a contradiction, here's another contradiction. I mean, like I say, I'm an anarchist in my political thinking. But as a writer, as a songwriter, my kind of job is to impose structure onto the world. Narrative is a, is a, is a structure. It, yeah. it, does, it, does, it does by its nature decide what is worth including and what is not um, worth including. Yeah. And that is making a hierarchy. Yes. yes, it is. And it's also making a kind of... It's also hegemonic, isn't it? Yeah. It's, it's about decide. power. What's, what's more important in terms of your power and personal power and narrative power and, and that's what's and what kind of different about this project even though I edit it afterwards so mm-hmm. there is a crafting of the material I don't have control over where this goes I don't know what you're going to say I, only, I, don't, I don't know what I'm going to say <laughs> in edit I just see what happens yeah. I have yeah. kind of notes but if we run over time I just accept that and if audiences don't like don't want to listen this far they can they can stop listening that's the way it is do you find friendships easy I'm, not, I'm sorry I'm not trying to turn no that's fine I'm, I'm aware that, aware that we I might, might run out literally run out of uh, yeah. space so we've got six minutes left six minutes. Okay. of actual space you, on this do you find friendship easy I know obviously you always have to work on friendships I find acquaintanceships difficult people who I'm not very close to I find it hard to be friends with people I'm, okay. I, 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 so I'm this all, is quite a hard project I'm all, yeah that's right that's why I kind of said it for myself once geographically I'm separated from someone I'm not a good friend in that I don't contact them as much as I would like to I, like, I keep thinking about my friend Clive at the moment like I'd like to speak to him but I never get round to getting in contact with him and he's not in the country anymore so really? I have to make an no, effort to speak to him he? oh he's in Germany and he's got two oh. children so it's hard for him for him to did, did you hear? I've, I've got another one on the way. Have you? Yeah, oh, congratulations. Three, three okay, congratulations. Uh, so, yeah, August 1st, supposedly. Crazy. It's mad. I've got a few friends with two children now. That's when you know that you're definitely getting old. Yeah, it catches up with you, doesn't it? It does. It does make you feel younger, though, but the, 
The years pass quicker because you're so focused on your child, time just slips away. No, I mean, well, see, the years, the years are passing quicker regardless. I haven't yeah. got kids and they're passing so quick. Now, it's been a real pleasure getting better acquainted with you, and I'm going to wrap it up now no, because just because I know that the nature of us both being talkers, we'll just talk for the, forever, and there's only so much patience you can expect from a, from a listening from audience. So it's been a real pleasure getting better acquainted with you. The last thing I ask people to do is to say goodbye to the audience. <coughs> goodbye, audience. Goodbye. Goodbye. You can find Getting Better Acquainted on Twitter, at UVA Podcast. You can find it on Facebook, it's Getting Better Acquainted. Have a search on Facebook and like it. Or you can find it on the website, www.gettingbetteracquainted.co.uk. You can also subscribe by searching on iTunes and subscribing to us that way. And on the Stitcher Smart Radio app, you can download for your smartphone from stitcher.com or through the App Store. There are lots of ways to get better acquainted.